is going on? Happy Thursday. Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance here. Drancer, of course, also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Drancer, we're going to try to do a normal show today. No uh, no historical national sporting event happening in the studio as we're doing our show, as there was yesterday. Unless we can't whatever like nine-way U.S. Thanksgiving NFL parlay you have going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no promises. <laughs> No promises that I'm not going to overreact to an Amon Ra touchdown or something. No, I mean, but look, the Canucks played last night and they won. They did, yes. They're, it was a, look, that was a pretty impressive win for me. I mean, I don't think they played great. I think Lady Fortuna favored them a little bit. You know, you get the early goal. You get the pinball puck that lands right on Dries' backhand right in the right in the blue paint. Do you know Sheldon Dries is eighth? among all Canucks forwards and scoring. Mm-hmm. Whew. You want to talk about an undertold story about the Canucks' struggles this season. The depth, the vaunted forward depth not showing up to the point that Sheldon Dries is eighth among Canucks forwards by production in just nine games. That's, it's that's not, wild. It's not what you want. It sure isn't what you want. <laughs> no, big, big L for those making comparisons between this forward depth and the forward depth in 2011. That's a big L. Um, but look, I, what here's what I really liked about the Canucks' performance last night. They hung with a very good Colorado Avalanche team at 5-on-5. Five five. They hung around. They were not outclassed by any means. In fact, most of the margin on the shot clock came as a result of a 5-on-3 in which, you know, their penalty killing was ventilated, as the Avs are wont to do, but it didn't look league worst i thought the penalty killing looked fine for the most part the special team story was colorado has the best power play in the league not the canucks have the worst penalty correct right that was the takeaway it was like wow this power play is really good they have nathan mckinnon and kale mccarr out there in a five on three not oh my goodness what are the canucks doing out there so i don't mean to put the limbo bar on like an eight foot (laughs) glider and then walk under you know like i'm not trying to raise or lower the bar to artificially praise the team but like the pk didn't look terrible and, and I think there are signs of progress there. I, I don't expect the Canucks to be the worst penalty-killing team in hockey over 82 games, but I still expect them to be pretty bad. Um, you know, I, I, anyway, I thought that was good. And then what I really liked was the way they closed the game. Like, I loved how they closed in the last five minutes. I thought it looked comfortable, mature. They weren't under a ton of duress. And when they finally got that, um, you know, sort of ticky-tack interference call with about a minute and mm-hmm. a half to go, uh, just ground the clock down over 200 feet of ice, playing keep away from the Avs, who had no answer, and probably messed up, frankly, leaving Pavel Francouz in the net. So I, I liked a lot of what I saw from the Canucks last night. But, but, because I got to always do a but, Jamie. This team needs four goals to win every night. And while they've been capable of it, I still don't think that this is an elite offensive team. Right? I know they've scored a lot. I know the goals for record will disagree with me. But as we learned last season, a team can do something for like 57 games and I'll be like, yeah, I don't buy it. You know, and, and uh-huh. I don't I don't buy. I am I am absolutely fading. The Canucks is a top 10 offense in the NHL. I think they're an average offense at best. 
um, I think their finishing luck is almost to the point of being comical, right? Like last night, especially bouncing puck out front to Ilya Mikheyev with, you know, nine seconds into the game. Sure. Um, pinballing puck lands right on Sheldon Drys' mm-hmm. back end in the crease. Sure. Uh, Ethan Bear unscreened from 90 feet. Why not? Like, those are not the sorts of goals that are going to be your bread and butter if you're going to be an elite offense. The good news here is that while the team's offense, I think, is way overheated, uh, this this can't be a hard – this isn't a hot take, right? Do people buy that the Canucks' offense is elite? Oh, I think some people do, for sure. You, people expect now, Paul Horvat to just score 60? Yeah. Part of it is you've got to split the – power play production from the even strength production, right? Like the power yeah. play, no one's disputing that the power play is really good. Really the power good. play is going to Oh yeah, yeah. We've been on that since the preseason. The power since play is going to put up lots of goals. Yeah. That, that's what they're going to do. You're talking about 5 on 5. Production. But o- but overall. Sure. I'm talking overall. Like I don't expect the Canucks to be in the top 10 of goals scored at the end of the year. That would surprise me, right? I don't think Bo Horvat's going for 60. I don't think you're going to have both a 60 and 240 goal scorers. <laughs> which the Canucks would be on pace to do with a trio of guys shooting 20%. Like, Ilya Mikheyev's production's been great. Did he score six goals last night? Sixth? So he's on pace for easily 20 goals despite having missed five games. Mm-hmm. Guy's got a 17% on-ice shooting clip at 5-on-5, five five, and his individual shooting clip matches that. You know, I, like, I know a lot of his chances are glorious because they're often on the, on the break, but... Man, I'm, there's a lot of overheated stuff. When you look under the hood, I think the Canucks, one of the Canucks' biggest problems as the as we go through, you know, game 21 to 82, which is a long time. There's a lot of season left. I, I legitimately think one of their problems is that they're going to struggle to score unless they meaningfully generate an awful lot more than they are. Um, now, some of that regression, which will be painful, will get offset by the fact that their defense will be far closer to league average than historically bad I'd, I'd expect partly because their goaltenders are well, going to play better their goaltending is going to be better yeah. yeah so it will be offset i right now i think their goals four percentage at five on five is just a, a hair under 50 percent um yeah, and that, you can that see o- that overvalues them for me you uh, can see the offensive regression coming but i want i do wonder how much of that will be canceled out by the kind of positive regression of the goaltending getting better at five on five but you know just like you have to separate the power play from the five on five production scoring wise offensive thing you got to do it with the goaltending too their five on five goaltending has it hasn't not been that been, bad it's, no, it it's hasn't most, even been bad yeah it's mostly been on it's the been penalty average. kill it's like the where where regression is going to help them really should be four on five not five on five so you know i think they're i, I like i think this team is worse five on five than i expected coming into this season and i suspect that the goals for in that game state are going to go against them even more frequently unless they start to generate an awful lot more when anyone other than Elias Pettersson is on the ice. That, well, it's been that's, that's the my thing. Expectation. It's been and I was on the post game show with Vic and we talked about it uh as as Trancer gesticulates at the TV uh begging the refs for a call in the Buffalo Detroit yeah, game. Some, sometimes an elite offense can look really bad. <laughs> as anyone who's got the Bills to cover will tell you. Uh well Josh Allen is banged up. But anyways, um Ah, it's really only been Elias Pettersson's line generating at five on five. And even, you know, obviously Bo Horvat is doing his goal scoring thing, and that's fantastic. I don't want to downplay that. He's on an absolute heater. He's playing really, really well. JT Miller's points total point totals are impressive, but so much of it has come on the power play. I think he got his second even strength assist last night on, on the Horvat deflection goal. And like he's supposed to be a guy. He's supposed to be the straw that stirs the drink when he's out there setting te- setting teammates up for goals. We just have not seen it at all from JT Miller this season. Now, 
you could argue, well, we're going to see that at some point, and that's fair. But I, we're not. The process isn't there. It's not like he's been snake bit. The process isn't there. They're just not generating. No, anything. but I would expect him to have a better process at some point this season. I mean, but I don't think it'll be enough I mean, to cancel we'll out some of the we, other things that are going to regress. We'll see. We need to see it. You know, the thing about process is it's like, yeah, I think JT Miller is a better driver than he's looked through the first 20 games. But, I mean, it's really hard to understate just how little has been happening for the Canucks yep. offensively, just in terms of zone time, with him on the ice 5-on-5. Five five. So, I need to see it before I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I mean, I expect that to happen. Uh, players can lose their fastball really suddenly in this league, at 5-on-5 five five in particular, right? It, JT Miller would hardly be the first 29-year-old. Who, who went within a matter of four or five months from being a driver at 5-on-5 five five to being very much not and, and reliant on things like opportunistic finishing and, and their excellence on the power play to, to manufacture offense and value for their teams. Like, JT Miller would not be the first person for whom that has occurred if, if that's, in fact, part of what we're seeing. He certainly won't be the last, and that's, again, what sort of draws in big red underlined ink, you know, a, a, a point of emphasis on just how significant and misguided the risk that the Canucks took in advance of the season was. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And you mentioned you didn't think they got outclassed at 5-on-5 no, by the Colorado that, I thought that Avalanche. was one of their best performances of the year. I thought people, people saying their best performance of the year was the Kings performance. I thought those people were off. Last night was a candidate. That was like their third game, the third game of the year where I'd be like, hey, they, in my opinion, they legitimately outplayed their opponent. There was never the moment where Colorado just took over the game and found that extra gear and left the Canucks in the dust. I thought Colorado's best period was the first period, yep. right? Especially because I think they got down early, and so they kind of got that wake-up call right out of the gate, and it looked like it might turn into that kind of long night. But in the second or third, yeah, they Canucks did a pretty good job of limiting the Avalanche, and that even with the injuries they have, it's still McKinnon, it's still McCarr, it's still Miko Rantanen for most of the game. I know he had a bit of an absence there. It's still a really dangerous team, and you know you can always look at this and say, well, did Colorado really play up to their potential? And that's fair, but the Canucks can only control what they're doing, and I thought they did a pretty good job uh, of limiting what is again still a dangerous team, especially in the final uh, forty minutes last night, and in the third period in particular. There was there was never that moment where. It felt, oh my goodness, it's inevitable that Colorado was going to score. They're where they're they're piling on the pressure right now, late in the game. No, and um, no, I agree with you. I thought the 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 thing that I so watching the first period, the Canucks score that early goal, and you're like, okay, you know. But then when the Canucks don't leave the first period with the lead or even tied, I thought, oh boy, that's a bad mm -hmm. sign. Then they get the big tying goal from Bo Horvat, and then they don't leave the second level. <laughs> At that point, I thought, okay, this feels like uh, the Canucks are in for a long night. Um, so, you know, credit to them because they did battle back. The, there was a lot of fortune, a lot of good fortune at their backs. That happens over the course of 82 games, right? You get those eight or nine 100%. games where yeah. things go your way. That definitely felt like one of those. But it wasn't a game where they were, like, genuinely bad and lucky. No, It you was a game in which they at least did enough that you could say they they earned their bounce. It wasn't a smash and grab. It no, wasn't no, like, no, oh, no. man, Ooh, how did we how did we escape with two points there? You know, yeah. not at all. No, it was, it was uh, they had, they played well and had fortune on their side last night. And you know what? That's what you need to beat the Avs in Denver when you're a middling team. Like, th that's what you need. You need to both perform well and get some bounces. Because Colorado's good enough. They're one of those luck-proof teams. They're one of those truly good teams. Right? The Canucks are very much not. 
right? They need some good fortune. They got it last night in Colorado, and now look, seven, four, and one in their last twelve. Three points out of the playoff, boys. Three points out. A lot of their uh, a lot of their competitors lost last night as well. It was good. It was a good night for the Canucks playoff chances. If you're, if you're into late November scoreboard watching, and why wouldn't you be? You're a Canucks fan. It was a good night for the Canucks, and and they look, and now they get to. Travel to Vegas, take a couple of days, lots yep. of allusions to, to some sort of rookie party or whatever planned for, for Vegas. So hopefully everyone has a nice time. Obviously, they're going to practice on Friday, sweat it out, and then play uh, a pretty tough back-to-back, Vegas and San Jose, just 22 hours later. That's rough, man. That's rough. You know, and, and I mean, that's a rough turnaround. So uh, we'll see. Like, it's going to be a tough, you know, I I wonder, too. There's weird airport restrictions in San Jose. This is really inside baseball. All right. <laughs> That's not where I was expecting you to go with that one. San Jose is quite a nice community, right? Like a very wealthy community. Yes. And so the airport there, you're not allowed to fly into it after a certain hour. So it's actually really hard logistically to do back-to-backs involving the San Jose Sharks as a general rule. Uh, they might have to fly into SFO. And then and drive down. Bu- and bus, bus down, down, which is you know a solid hour and a half. So that's like, you know, that's an extra difficult back-to-back. I, I don't actually know their travel plans, but um, flying out of Vegas following, and that is a normal 7 o'clock game, right, on Saturday for hockey night? I believe so. So that's that's going to be tough. I don't think they'll be able to fly directly into San Jose, which just makes the whole day that much more difficult for, uh, from a rest and recovery standpoint. Yeah, it is a 7 o'clock game on Saturday. Yeah, well, and, that's... And, then, and then not in your bed until 1.30, right? Uh... I mean, and then you play at 5 the next day. That's tough. That's the... like a really tough back-to-back. The San Jose airport update. That's that's the kind of tidbit you only get here on Canucks Talk. <laughs> Hey, it's a yeah, no, I'm, honestly I'm, those I, factors. Matter, I did not man. know it, and I'm I'm pleased to have learned it. Yeah. It, was, it was absolutely not something I was expecting uh, on the show today. So they hold their own at five on five against a good team, and somebody texts in. You know, Colorado had half their team missing too. Sure, they sure did, but they've also been playing really well. They're still a dangerous team. There's, there's no only excuses. so much. There's no no no. There's, when, there's when, only so much you can apologize for the other team not being in top shape. Also, like sure, okay, but well, what do you want us to do? We still also Colorado's great. They 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 can win when they're not in top shape. Yeah. You know, just remember, like, I'm not going to ding the Canucks for beating a team that's a little bit hobbled, just like I'm not going to cut excuses for the Canucks when they lose because they're injured. You know what I mean? Like, for years, this this city, this management team in the city, not this current management team, the former management mm. team would be like, well, season was going great until we lost Edler. Well, you know what? If your season's going great until the 32-year-old defenseman gets hurt. Who gets you're hurt not, you're, almost every year. You're not very good. You're straight up not very good. Like, you need to be able... Now, I know the Avs are missing, what, two top-line quality wingers, a, a probably top-pair quality defenseman, and they lost Evan Rodriguez midway through the game. Mm-hmm. So that's a fairly lengthy It's significant. List. It's significant. But, I mean, we weren't being, like, kinder to the Canucks when they were down, like, Hughes and a bunch of other defensemen and, and uh, Ilya Mikheyev and Brock Besser. I mean... You know, it works both ways. I'm not going to cut the. I'm not going to change the punches we throw in terms of evaluating the Canucks. So I'm not going to cut their opponent slack either, or ding the Canucks for beating a team that's you know been bit and is furiously scratching at and really should put some ointment on a bite from the injury bug. And it's not as if I was going into the game being like, "Oh, Colorado's terrible because all these injuries." No. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like they're still a good team. There's still McKinnon, McCarr, exactly uh, loaded. I'm, I, I, Arturi Rantanen looked great. Yeah, and Miko Rantanen, 
Miko Rantanen is so fun. He's really good. Isn't he fun? Really, he, really good. Uh, and and one thing I would say, like, the the, the the as well as the Canucks played, like, you had a, a few too many chances where... So, Nathan McKinnon, who skates furiously, mm-hmm. right? Like, cuts up the ice like it's personally insulted him. Or his cat. Um, he, or has <laughs> tried to serve him non-cauliflower pasta. <laughs> right. <laughs> has suggested he eat more gluten. <laughs> uh, but... I mean, there were at least a few chances where he just zoomed in, hunt, like bullet train speed, on the Canucks defenders, and they were helpless. And likewise, Miko Rantanen didn't quite do it at the same speed, but it was more like um, using a steak knife to cut melted butter. You know, like occasionally he would just like glide in, and it was like two moves, and he was clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about that wraparound chance that he had in the third. Mm-hmm. You think about, honestly, at-will entries for Miko Rantanen just with, like, delicate puck handling late in the game. Really quite troubling for me uh, that, you know, at the end of the day, the Canucks played fine, but their inability to even make the entries difficult, the neutral zone battle difficult for the Avs top players, I think augurs poorly for a team that really needs to make, for like, they, they need to create an environment where top players are having more difficult nights against them on a regular basis. They didn't do that last night. So it's, it's an interesting point to bring up because I think, you know, one of the stories of the game and the reason why they were able to more or less hold their own at even strength against the Colorado Avalanche was the play of Elias Pettersson, who we talked a lot about, okay, is it time to use Elias Pettersson in more of a matchup role given both his abilities, right, his defensive two-way abilities, and what they're getting in that role from the Bo Horvat-JT Miller duo, uh, which we saw got dominated by the Jack Eichel line against Vegas on Monday night. And, you know, it's interesting because they're on the road, so they don't have last change. So it's not as if you can necessarily say, you know, Bruce Boudreaux affirmatively decided to use Pedersen extremely frequently against Nathan McKinnon and his line and Kale McCarr and that pairing. But he didn't run away from it, and Elias Pettersson was out there an awful lot against those players, the superstar players left in the lineup for the Avalanche, and I I thought it was kind of funny because I thought the first period was Colorado's best, but also Elias Pettersson's uh, best period, but still, at the end of the night, you look at the underlying numbers, and Elias Pettersson, he held his own in really tough minutes against those players. Yeah, they got their chances. Of course they are. They're going to get their chances, but it wasn't a bloodbath. It wasn't, oh man, they dominated Elias Pettersson in that line, and that's a really huge development. That's a big development for the Canucks. If if they start to, not even again, as I say, seek it out every night as a hard match, but at least not run away from it, right? Okay, he's out there against McKinnon. They're matching him up like that. That's fine. We'll accept that because we have confidence in him that he can win those minutes. I feel like or I draw need, those minutes. I feel like I want to do like a drunk history segment here, like um, like a brief history of Elias Pettersson in hard matches, right? Because there there actually is an interesting story here, in my view, particularly with some of the details coming out uh, about Pettersson having asked for it, lobbying mm-hmm. for it, which is not new. So, well, and it re- it brings to mind when Boudreaux took over last year. I believe it was Hughes and Pettersson both went to him to say we want to be on the penalty kill and and Bohorva. Yeah. Now. The last game that the Canucks played before the pandemic was against the New York Islanders at Rogers Arena. And in that game, for the first time really ever, the lotto line, still intact. It was Brock Besser's first game. But actually, that's not true. Tyler Toffoli on the lotto line. So the lotto line Mm 2.0 version that we saw that year. But Brock Besser came back that day and played with Bo Horvat. They drew the Barzal matchup. They played Matt Barzal heads up, straight up. 
and and more than held their own in a Canucks win. And when the Canucks came back for the playoffs in the bubble, for the first time ever, really, we saw Travis Green, who'd spent most of the 2019-20 season sicking Jay Beagle, Tim Schaller, and Tyler Mott on a, on, on a hard match, like a top six hard match, often a top line hard match to create easier sledding for the lotto line. It worked, right? Hughes and Pedersen's goal differentials were through the roof. But completely unreal that season. But, yeah. But it happened on a knife's edge, right? Like it happened on a knife's edge. And, and it's why when the team lost guys like Sutter and Beagle, who shouldn't have mattered that much, the team went into the absolute tank because their ability to play that matchup game disappeared, vanished, poof. So against the Minnesota Wild, Travis Green plays for the first time ever, Pedersen and the lotto line straight up. And Dean Evason in the Minnesota Wild change centermen in every game after the first one. So they win the first one, and then the second, third, fourth game of that series, culminating in Vancouver's win on Chris Tanev's overtime goal, there's a different centerman used by the Wild as a, as a hard match for Pedersen, in part because Pedersen was just eating their lunch, right? Kaprizov wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. The Wild didn't really have like the strong top end. They probably had better depth than Vancouver, but Vancouver won that series because Hughes and Pedersen picked their teeth with Minnesota's top-end talent. Fast forward to the next series, and again, the Canucks try to go with Pedersen in a hard match. Except this time, they bump into Ryan O'Reilly. And it doesn't go well for Vancouver for the first three games, and they abandon it. And and in against Vegas, same thing. They don't go with the hard match for Pedersen again against Vegas. We know also how widely they got outshot in that series. It was like 100-plus shots over, over seven games. So while they took Vegas to seven, it wasn't exactly an inspiring performance from a team that clearly needed a lot of work. Outside of Thatcher Demko. Outside of very Thatcher. Very inspiring well, for him. And there were good individual performances. It's just Well, at least Pedersen still had some really good games fabulous in that games. series. Yeah, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the Canucks for figuring out how to extend that series. So much as I'm just saying it showed, too, how far away they were from really being a contender. In terms of what what happens next, right? Elias Pettersson very much wants to play late in games that next season and very much wants to get hard matched, and Green will not do it. Green does not do it. Pettersson comes into the season. You remember he wasn't quite on form that mm-hmm. first month. Um, Green starts sort of, you, you know, not starts, keeps using Bo Horvat, keeps using some of those depth center uh, depth wingers, Louis Erickson, the closer, Tanner Pearson, right? Those guys play with the net empty. Those guys play late in games. Um, I think Pedersen gets increasingly frustrated about it. The next season they come back, and Pedersen's, I mean, you, we all remember what Pedersen looked like the first half of the season, particularly in terms of his two-way form. And then Bruce Boudreau comes in, and JT Miller is his number one matchup guy all along. Pedersen gets going. It takes him a while. It's not like Brock Besser, who, you know, the, they hire Bruce and he starts Instantly scoring starts immediately. Scoring, yeah. Pedersen still took like six weeks before he rounded into the like 40 goal, 95 point pace, you know, absolutely pornographic two, two-way results. Like that took a while for Pedersen. And so you come into this season and it takes till game 20 before the Canucks use Pedersen heads up five on five. Are we watching the same team? How does it take to 20 games? I mean, there's been one guy who's so clearly a, a, a top-end two-way driver on this team and another line, whether it's been Horvat or Miller, where there's just nothing happening five-on-five. Five. takes 20 games. So now 
having gone to it before the pandemic, having been dissuaded from sticking with it because Ryan O'Reilly, still at the peak of his powers, eats Patterson's lunch for three games. Two and a half years later, the Canucks are back? About time. This is long overdue. There is no reason this shouldn't be plan A, B, and C for the team going forward. And you know what? Pedersen's going to probably bump into some opponents like Ryan O'Reilly who are going to steal his lunch money one game. That's going to happen. It's a hard league. Ride with it. Let it ride. You have no other good options. It's not like it's a hard decision even. That's the thing. It shouldn't have taken this long. And now that it's happened, they got to roll with it. They got to roll with it. They should have rolled with it in 2021. They definitely should have rolled with it last season. Now, there are literally zero excuses. You got to do it. And yeah, there's going to be nights. And drunk history. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, There are going to be nights, as you said, where it doesn't go as well as it did last night for Elias Pettersson. I thought he played really, really well because he's still going to be learning that role. That's fine. That's fine. You got to get the reps. You have to get the reps in these moments. And look, why... We all look, we've all had the discussions about should they rebuild? What should the rest of the season be about? But you can still get productive things out of this season, even if it's not going anywhere near where they all wanted it to go, right? You can still get Elias Pettersson reps playing against Nathan McKinnon, playing against the Ryan O'Reilly's, the Jack Eichel's, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you can still give him a chance to improve and learn that role. And I don't think it's going to take a lot. Like, I think he's ready to hit the ground running doing it. We kind of saw it last night. There, there's going to be ups and downs, but the potential is clearly there. And you, you can get those reps, but we're already at the point where, like, it's going to take the Canucks going on a win streak before games really matter again. And I don't mean for this team. I mean from the for the perspective other team. of the opponents as well, coming in and really throwing their fastball versus doing what the Avalanche did yesterday, which was, oh, we're down, let's turn it on. Oh, they tied it. Let's turn it on. We're on the power play. Let's go out there and zip it around. Let's have some fun. uh, And it's not unlike what Vegas did to the Canucks last week at home, right? Like, uh, I mean, that's this team needs to get back to earning that level of respect from their opposition before we're really going to get get Ellie's Pedersen in true measuring stick moments. Uh, before we go to break, Marcus and Gibson says, we all know Drance doesn't gamble on hockey, but I think we can all see him pulling a Kramer and betting on plane arrival times after his San Jose airport take. That's from Marcus and Gibson's. All I'll say, Marcus, is don't give him any ideas. I, 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 that sounds great. That sounds awesome. I just have a vision of, like, two weeks from now, you, during a break, pulling up your phone to, like, the YVR arrivals screen and being like, can you believe this? <laughs> can you believe it was delayed out of Calgary? I, I mean, honestly, this sounds like a commodity that the NHL really is missing out on monetizing. You'd, like, have, like, you know, the, the team services guys. So it's, like, Mike Brown for the Canucks. It's, like, Mike Brown's one of the best in the league. He keeps such a tight schedule. Like, this over-under, free money, baby. Yeah, I'm super into that. I would be straight up. Straight up down. My old Florida Panthers colleague, Styles Burr, like, Styles would never be late in Minneapolis. He has the best bus driver in the business ready to go. Styles, it's like Tom Brady in prime time. <laughs> Don't bet against him. Don't bet against him. I'm always happy when Styles Burr comes up on the radio. Let's <laughs> All go. right. Well, let's move on from that. But uh, lots more to get into, both uh, from last night. Uh, Drancer and, uh, and Harmon did a... Uh, a kind of quarter of the season player grades piece for the athletic as well, which we'll dig into at some point. I want to talk about goaltending and Spencer Martin in the next segment as well. Get your text in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. More Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance coming to you live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Um, yeah, I'm completely in one right now. <laughs> Trance is mourning. <laughs> Legitimately complaining about ephemeral gambling results. Yes. And as we come back from break. <laughs> the literal, it was liter- I love it, too, because, yeah, though, I, I obviously understand throwing a few dollars down on the uh, Thanksgiving NFL games, but you're, like, simultaneously complaining about, like, non-conference NCAA basketball matchups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> WCC, baby. Never miss an opportunity. Oh, big WCC guy uh, over here. Uh, 650-650 again. Get your texts in. Uh, Brad in Cloverdale says, Ah, yes, the biannual goalie bonfire where the fan base lights its common sense on fire. That is from Thank Brad you. in Cloverdale. That is and a good text in. I did the postgame show last night, and here's the thing. I really like Spencer Martin. Me too. Really like Spencer he's, Martin. He's, a, he's also like a really good person. Great story. Yeah, and super a, easy to root for, and a nice guy like, has done nothing. I've enjoyed working has with done nothing but perform really well for the Canucks. Great contract, everything. I like everything about Spencer Martin. I felt as if I was doing like character assassination on Spencer Martin last night, just pushing back against this this idea of a goalie controversy. This idea of oh, they got to ride with Spencer Martin. They got to go with Spencer Martin. Now here's the thing. If you mean goalie controversy in the sense that they should split starts until Thatcher Demko plays a lot better, sure, okay, that's no, fine. I actually disagree with that. I don't have a problem with that. Whatever. I, Play the I goalie do. who's playing better. That's fine. I, I, I have a problem with Why? Because Spencer Martin is a good story and a good player and a really nice find for this team as a backup who was literally acquired for a bag of pucks. Right? That's great. I, I love that story. I think Spencer Martin's going to play a lot of games in this league and stick around for a long time and honestly probably earn a fair bit of money based on the inflationary pressure we're seeing in the backup position. But Thatcher Demko is Thatcher Demko. Thatcher Demko is probably a top five goaltender in this league. Yeah, no, well, that's what I'm saying. If it's, if so, you're trying so to make- why are you why are you even splitting starts and like like, you know, hinting at the fact that you might ride the hot hand like who cares you know what you know what this is the this is the sort of thing where it's like if the goal is to save Bruce Boudreaux's job and or or I mean that's probably already lost let's be real if the goal is for Bruce Boudreaux to accumulate enough wins that he has a good case to make in his next job interview then sure split the two and starts if the goal is to put this team on the sort of footing both from a the value of their key assets perspective and from a what does it look like for this team to be great perspective, ride Thatcher. Let him play through it. Thatcher Demko is. It's. I'm not trying to be a jerk here when I say that Thatcher Demko is better than Spencer Martin. That shouldn't be a hot take. That's not a hot take. That is shouldn't be a hot, not take. a hot take. Thatcher Demko is better than just about every puck stopping human being on the planet. Let him play through it. We're not doing. Well, are we doing what we did with Pedersen at this time last year now with Thatcher Demko? Are we going to do it with Quinn Hughes next year? Like, what? we know who Thatcher Demko is. Goaltending performance is extraordinarily volatile. There's an awful lot that goes into and lies beneath wins and save percentage. Right? There's been bad luck. There's been really bad defense. And there's been some poor moments 
from Demko himself. But to me, it looked like he was beginning around in form. Played really well against LA. Played really well against Vegas for 40 minutes. Looked like some of his rush reads, some of the some of the details in his game looked like they were returning a bit. And then the club gives up like eight million high grade A chances to the Vegas Golden Knights, and all of a sudden we've forgotten that, that Thatcher Demko's Thatcher Demko. What are we talking about? Ride Thatcher Demko. Let him get out of it. Nothing else matters. Like Spencer Martin being a nice story in the big picture is great for this team because he has he'll, he's going to have real trade value. But if we're talking about what really matters, what really helps this team get over the hump to, to get back on track, Thatcher Demko restoring his his value from a trade perspective matters a lot more than wins and losses over the next two weeks. Thatcher Demko being an absolute star matters a lot more. I mean, there's no scenario in which you should be riding Spencer Martin or, or even splitting starts equally while Spencer Martin is hot unless you're Bruce Boudreaux. Like, there's only one person whose interests are served by approaching things this way. Unless you think that Demko needs more time to get his game back together. Sure. Right, off the ice. That's that's the argument for doing it. Unless it's an Ian Clark-driven initiative that, like, hey, he needs a reset. But you know what? It would never be that. Goalies need rhythm. Goalies need a chance to play through it. Thatcher Demko is going to end the season with a league average save percentage. Almost... Like, certainly. He's really good. Stop this. We have to stop. We have to stop taking reality as it's looked the last three weeks and pretending that that's the truth. Like, we know what Thatcher Demko is. He's excelled at every level. Well, we also... He's excelled consistently. He's dominated weeks and months. We also know that goalies start slow. Goalies have struggles. Like, this this used to be an annual thing for Roberto Luongo. And at about this time, he'd spend three months barely surrendering a goal. Like, the... Demko's really good. Demko's really good. He's going to be fine. Jeff- He's going to be fine. Give him the space to play through it. Jeffro texts in, if Martin emerges as the starter going forward, that's great, but that will be a big problem going no. forward for the Canucks, which I think is exactly if right. Spencer, Sp- this is Spencer Martin's first year as a full-time yeah. NHL player. Like, if Spencer Martin emerges as a good platoon guy, a heavily used backup, 25 to 30 games, that's a huge development. If you're asking for more than that from Martin, who's never done it in the NHL, I mean, there, there's none of this that makes sense. None of it makes sense. Uh, the other thing I think we have to stop doing is relying on is getting mad on the wins. radio. Another <laughs> thing we need to do is stop no, getting mad, getting on, the mad radio. on the radio. Is the bread and butter of the sports radio industry Fair transfer. Enough. We can't stop that. We need that. Uh, <laughs> that's 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 what pays the bills here. We need to stop relying on like goalie points percentage and goalie wins loss records. Like I, I understand Spencer Martin has a great win loss record. No, that's that, not even a thing. That, that is not. <laughs> that is not the goalies in the sole control of the goalie. And and somebody called into the post game show yesterday and said, you know what, the Canucks need a goalie who can steal wins right now, and that's what Spencer Martin is doing. Has Again, he? Has I he? like Spencer Martin. He hasn't stolen a win this year. He's won games. But he has not stolen wins for the team this season. Unless you can think last night counts, which I don't. Well, I mean, he was better than Craig. He was good. He was the better goalie. He was better than Craig Anderson in Buffalo. But that's different than stealing. Yes, there's a big difference between getting the better goaltending and stealing the game. Correct. And again, I I hate that I sound like I'm trying to, you know, tear down Spencer Martin here because he's a great story for the Canucks. He's a great find. I think it's a feather in the cap of 
uh, Ian Clark and the and the goaltending infrastructure in this organization. It's an awesome story. It's just sorry, it's, it's the, not changing the development side of it. Is yeah, it's mostly a feather in the cap of Martin himself. Yeah, sure, but it's yes. just. And Curtis Sanford, who, of course, worked more closely with him. It's just not – it doesn't change anything about Thatcher Demko's status, right? It, it's, that's, just, that's just not what we're seeing here. Um, and somebody texted in, you know, the only goalie controversy uh, really is with what's going on with Demko. Is he healthy? What's going on? That's from Jeff uh, from Mission. I mean, we don't have any – going to overtime, that doesn't help you, though. No, Sorry, your answer. Despondent. <laughs> wasted. Wasted that Portland over – painful but anyway. i agree that i think that the goaltending conversation is much more when do we start seeing thatcher demko's best again and how does that affect as you said not just what the canucks do for the rest of the season but how he's viewed around the league the flexibility they have to do other things with him like and that's completely independent from spencer martin the thing about demko though is like we live in a world where teams are like matt murray two times four million like yeah we'll roll that dice <laughs> you know, a Freddie Anderson, six million, sure, yeah. I mean, whatever. Well, I'm Alexander Georgiev, three million, okay. Let's try that. Um, Ville Husso, give up picks and sign him to an expensive contract. Yep, let's do that. Let's try. It's hard to find really good goaltenders. I know we've been spoiled in this market for the last decade, but I mean, there's a lot of teams that would kill to have clear franchise goaltender struggling be the story of their first two months because at least they have the guy mm. you know and and in other teams in other environments you'd still be winning in other environments you're not oh well if we don't have latter day Dominic Kashuk we're not going to win I mean that's what this team has but a lot of other teams like do you think do you think New Jersey would still kill to have Thatcher Demko even he doesn't even need to bounce back to have massive trade value Thatcher Demko at five million it's a That's steal. an incredible bargain deal. We we cannot we cannot over the course of what? How many starts has he even made this season? 12? Yeah, something like that. 12 13 starts. You cannot take 12 or 13 starts and go from talking about a guy as if he's the second coming of I don't know. Um I don't want to say Dominic Ashik again cuz I already did. Um Patrick Waugh. No, that's too much. I'm looking for like a different type of guy. What? Like um the second coming. You of... mentioned Dominic Hasek. Yeah, but I'm, I'm looking for someone else. I'm looking for a different name. Uh, anyway, whatever. Oh, what? What do you mean what? I thought you were looking for elite goalies. Yeah, but that, that's too elite. That's Hall of Fame elite. Well, I'm looking for. You shouldn't mention Dominic Hasek. Okay, well, whatever. Anyways, I'm obviously struggling. Anyways, yeah. The second coming of Tim Thomas, but for sure, 10 years. Sure. You can't go from talking about a guy like he's that to talking about a guy like he's a backup in 13 games. Stop it. Thatcher Demko's really good. And if he needs games to get back into form, which a lot of goalies do, the Canucks should be prioritizing doing that, right? In every respect at this point, the priority should be what matters in five years. I, like, I'm, I'm, I've said this a million times. I'm going to keep saying it. So Sheldon Dries is a nice story. He's been a really good find. He's winning draws. He's producing, right? I'm not saying you take him out of the lineup. But what's more important for this team in three years? Sheldon Dries getting minutes to help the team eke out an additional four points over the next 10 games? Or Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin becoming really useful middle six forwards, right? What matters more? Eking out a couple extra wins for Boudreaux's resume? 
or Thatcher Demko getting back on track? Right? <laughs> what's what, what's more important? Elias Pettersson cutting his teeth as a matchup center or eking out a few more points with Bo Horvat doing that work? Like, in every respect, this organization needs to focus on the long term. And this is why when the Canucks opted to do the lame duck thing with Travis Green and then with Bruce Boudreau, I keep harping on it because you end up in these positions in every like in all over the roster. You see them. Jack Rathbone's ice time. Um, you know, the the way that defense the defense is deployed, generally speaking, the the Stillman thing, the Kyle Burroughs is only a seventh defenseman thing. You end up in every respect misaligned in terms of what benefits this organization long term and what benefits the head coach for the time being. And by the way, I don't even blame Bruce Boudreau, considering how brutal the circumstances that he's in are from conducting himself this way. That's rational. That's reasonable. That's what he should be doing. He should be grinding out and maximizing the points. That's his job, literally his job description. It's on organizations to create an environment where the interests of the head coach align with the best interests of the organization. And for the third straight year, they're in obvious conflict. And I mean, I can't get over it. I can't get over it. Now we're talking about the club riding Martin. The The start for, for Martin yesterday spoke volumes to me. I said it on the radio yesterday. Um, then he Then they win. Martin plays fine. And now you know it's going to keep being a thing, right? Now you know that Martin's going to play again against... What, do you think he gets Vegas or San Jose? Probably San Jose. Okay. So But he's gonna get one of them, obviously. So and and so what if what if then Martin beats the easier opponent? Demko loses, loses to the to better Gold, opponent. The Golden Knights. Now now Martin has what seven wins on the season and Demko mm-hmm. has two? Well then what happens when they come back? And and you come back, you have some cupcakes. Yeah, you have the Panthers, but you also have the Coyotes and the Canadians. Like you have some easier teams. I mean, you're just prolonging the story. The fact is, is that everything that they're doing in net should be done with one priority in mind. One. What gets Demko back on track fastest? That's it. The, the That's other, the whole ballgame. The other thing to monitor is going to be the schedule really thins out. After the back-to-back over the weekend, they don't have another back-to-back until uh, December 22nd and 23rd. One of those is a home game against the Kraken. That's a That's a month, basically, or just shy of a month where... Your schedule is pretty light. A lot of home games, a lot of extra days off, you know, like you play on Wednesday, then you don't play again until Saturday, then you don't play again until the next Wednesday. There's a lot of time off in there. So if you have full confidence in Demko, there's not going to be any obvious spots where you say we have to get Spencer Martin in here to give Demko a rest. Demko's going to be getting his rest in right. that in that time. So it will it will say a lot about what Bruce Boudreau thinks in his goalies. That that's kind of a classic stretch of schedule where if Demko is going really well, he could easily rattle off eight or nine in a row in that stretch just because of how the schedule uh sets up and who knows, maybe like maybe with the lighter schedule it gives him a bit more time, he can kind of get into rhythm in the games but also have the time to practice and reset. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but it's definitely something to monitor as we get into December. By the way, as you were uh, crying out for the name of a goalie there, uh, our inbox has just turned into remembering some goalies Bro, who, are, who are non-Hall of Famers. My so favorite thing. Right in a row, all like within 30 seconds of each other from three different people, we got Curtis Joseph. That's a good one. Olaf Kolzig and Archer Zerbe all came in. I so, like, so I there like, you go. I like Curtis Joseph. Kolzig's a good one, too, because Kolzig's like a classic... Um, guy who was 10 years too early you know like Kolzig was great obviously a Mm -hmm. really good goaltender but 10 years later 
Kolzig would have been a real star. Uh, there were so many little tactical or technical issues with his game. Like, Kolzig always stood up the same way. He always, no matter what side of the net he was on, he always got up right leg first, right? Which, 15 years ago, no one really paid attention to, uh, even in desperation situations, right? Whereas now, goaltenders are trained where where they move relative to to how the, what, what side of the rink the puck is in, the threat... Kolzig was six foot three. A lot of the other goaltenders in his era were like what five eleven, six feet. Kolzig had contemporary size, contemporary athletic ability. He didn't have contemporary technique, but he's like one of my favorite guys. Who, yeah, he was great. But ten years later, if he'd come into the league, he would have been a real superstar. Uh, Thomas Vokun, another name that uh, that yeah. comes in as we continue to remember some goalies. Uh, Vokun, Vokun was fantastic. He was really good, but <laughs> really, really good for a stretch there, but. He also played and had this outrageous save percentage in an era where Florida's their uh, scoring was maybe a little suspect. Their their home scoring was a little off. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they there were a lot of guys who were like fancy stats all stars who then would leave and go to other teams. <laughs> David Booth. Yes, I was just about to say that the name that comes to mind and uh, and would not excel at quite the same rate. So I, I sort of look at those guys a little bit differently. Uh, Snoop the dog texts in. Give Hot Hand Martin the tough starts. Give Demko the easier no. starts to get him back to no. winning. No. Well, what would you do? Would you give him Vegas or, or no, San Jose? Sorry, Demko? I want to be clear. I'm not I'm not a goalie guy. I would do That's whatever fair. Ian whatever Clark Ian thinks. Whatever Ian Clark says. Yeah. But but whatever Ian Clark thinks, but with the caveat that everything that we're doing in net is designed to get Demko on track. I don't care about anything else. I just care about what makes it so that Demko is the best that he can be as quickly as possible. That's it. And, and and honestly, any other priority is wrong, straight up wrong. It just doesn't it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Big picture for this team. Anything else is noise. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Uh, this one unsigned says, "Why do you insist that Demko is so good?" Because his track record in the NHL has been phenomenal. Because he is. It's, it's been really, really good. And I know you can look at what, raw, what? raw save percentage, and now his career number is at 910. You can say, ah, whatever, it's 910. But you have to take into account the defensive environment. In his first two years as a starter was abysmal, and we all saw the performances that he turned in on a regular basis last year to legitimately steal games for this team. Not, like, just outplay the other goalie. Steal the game for this team in a game they had no business winning. Why, why did we insist that the Canucks weren't suddenly a contender despite being a 106-point team over 57 games under Bruce Boudreaux? Why did we insist that Elias Pettersson was... No, there was nothing to worry about despite 40 games of subpar form to open the season last year. Why did we insist that JT Miller was having a career year and was unlikely to be a stud center going forward into his 30s? Because some things are obvious despite the way it looks today on a stats page. Come on. We got to stop doing this. These people are like Rick Dollywall. Rick Dollywall calls me and he'll be like, the Calgary Flames, they've lost three in a row. They're not even better than the Canucks. It's like, Rick, wait 10 days. Putting them on blast. No, seriously. This is Rick Dollywall, quality analysis from the inbox. Wow. Absolute uh, 
that's 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 great because it's uh, he listens to the show. It's an insult mad. to Rick and the and the texters simultaneously. <laughs> You've managed I, to offend two groups R- there. R- Rick listens, so I hope there he, you go. Uh, I, hope to, to, I hope I hope he texts me and gives me a good take this time. Uh, <laughs> shout out to listener uh, Rick Dollywall. We've got uh, Evgeny Nabokov's name coming in uh, uh, at Belfour. Uh, Belfour, no, Belfour is yeah. incredible. Uh, Belfour is a hall of famer. Mika Kiprasov, who at his peak was. Absolutely incredible. Mika Kiprasov also was a workhorse of a variety Kiprasov that no exists. might still be the goalie that terrified me the most as a Canucks fan. Which is funny. they had to play. Which is funny because in retrospect, you go look at Kiprasov's numbers and he was like very much a league average starter. I just, but he had he had years better than that, unless I'm completely no, misremembering that's, it. That's, I mean, a league average starter over a long period of time will have like sure. two, you know, just like Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick had like two elite seasons out of seven. Right. It's like and the rest of the time he was about league average, but there's a lot of value in being league average and durable and able to play a lot. And that's what those guys sort of did. I just for some reason, I just never felt like the Canucks were going to score when uh, Mika Kiprasov oh, he was, was huge in and he was athletic and he was really good. Uh, Dan Murphy from Sportsnet. He's on the road with the Canucks. He is going to join us next. It's Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I don't know how many... uh, American listeners or listeners south of the border we have, but if we do have any listening, happy American Thanksgiving to you. I hope you're having a great day off, enjoying it, getting some turkey, watching some football. Uh, I did want to read this text from Chet and Burnaby. He says, I appreciate that Drance clarified that Demko is one of the best puck-stopping humans on the planet, uh, just in case he loses the crease to Air Bud. That's from Chet and Burnaby. <laughs> <laughs> we, we look, man, we can't comment on any other species or aliens or anything that might be really good at uh, stopping pucks, but... Have in terms seen, of humans. Have you seen that very good boy that stops pucks that their owner shoots? They're like soft yes. pucks. That that goal that I mean, honestly, a goal a dog being a really good goalie to me makes a lot more sense than a dog being a really good hitter in baseball. You know, like at the end of the day, the thing about goalies, right, is is I, I kind of don't believe that the human eye is capable, ex- except in very specialized cases of evaluating goaltending talent. Like the difference between a great starter and a guy who's out of the league is an extra seven or eight, maybe ten saves over every thousand shots faced. Like, no matter how much hockey you watch, your ability to tell which guy's more likely to make ten extra saves over the next thousand shots is limited. Like, I, I, I'm fading that. And that's why guys like Dominic Hasek, who look like absolute chaos in the crease, actually ended up being exceptional, the best ever. Right? Hasek should be compared with Gretzky and Lemieux rather than with Juan Brodeur. He's, his peak was so far and away better than anything else we've ever seen. Um, so a goalie, a, a goalie dog, a pup goaltender, to me, makes sense. That's something where it's like, oh, yeah, you don't think his butterfly is good enough? Like, who cares? It's stopping it above. I, I could see that. That at least, like, he'd obviously need very good padding. Uh, and on that note, 
on that note, we will bring in our guest. <laughs> he covers the Canucks for Sportsnet. Uh, of course, he is Dan Murphy. Murph, what, Sorry, do you, Murph. what do you think? Could a dog stop pucks in the NHL? Well, no, no, no. That's not the question. The question is, is it more likely that a dog could be an average goalie in the NHL or a good hitter in baseball? Okay, so I missed the lead-up. It was all jumbled in my ear. So we're talking actual dog. Does it have a better chance of stopping pucks or... Being like an a, a, like a good hitter, a hitter for average in in Major League Baseball. Oh well, I mean, it's got to be a goalie, right? Thank you. Just hit him, right? I mean, that's just that's the pucks are going to hit him. Um, but uh, I, have we seen an, an Air Bud yet for either of those? Um, we've seen because an Air Bud baseball. You'd have to ask Trance. I don't know. I don't know that yeah, I've yeah. ever seen Air an Bud. Air Bud won a World Series <laughs> as a baseball player in so I think he. four well, he or was five. An outfielder. Um, He's an outfielder, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't tell quite you. remember. Couldn't tell you. He's whatever the best dog those, pun position. Yeah, I went through all those movies with my daughter at some point. I can't remember them all, but oh my God, were they painful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds about right. Uh, what's uh, what's Thanksgiving look for you? I know you're on the road with the team, Murph. What do you have lined up for uh, for today? Well, <laughs> Thanksgiving's not a whole lot different from any other day. Uh, I will probably meet up with uh, my compatriots, uh, John Shorthouse. And John Garrett, we're going to go to Old Vegas uh, to a sports bar, I think, for the second half of the next football game. Nice. It's called Circa. I've yeah, never been there. That screen yeah. looks amazing. Yeah, so we're going to do that and watch the, the second half of the second football game and the third football game. And from there, who knows? So we won't be partaking in any uh, you know, turkey and, stuffy and gra- stuffing and gravy. Uh, it'll likely just be uh, chicken wings and nachos. Uh, but, you know, you can be thankful for that as well. Now, Murph, I sent Farhan there when he went okay. to Vegas because that screen yeah. is like my dream screen. Like, I really want to watch eight games at once on that screen one day, and I will at some point in my life. And um, he was mad at me because he didn't like the food. So, fair warning, may want to hit the chilies with, uh, with Shorthouse beforehand. So, it, it, was, it was too fancy for Farhan? No, not fancy enough. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you knew who I'm dealing with, right? <laughs> Shorthouse, yeah. A refined yeah, palate. Right? It's more Garrett. You know? So, if, you know, the, 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 the least fancy spot possible is sometimes too fancy for Cheech. So, uh, we're, I was worried because when they was set up, I think Gary Lawless uh, helped uh, Shorty set it up. And the guy called and said, well, I don't think our steakhouse is open at three. And Shorthouse was like, well, thank God, because that's not what we want. Cheech <laughs> will do an about face and a heartbeat if it's a steakhouse only. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, that sounds like a great time. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be very fun. Uh, Murph, the Canucks uh, start a tough three-game road trip here with a win in Colorado. And yes, you can go through all the caveats about the players that the, the Avalanche are missing and all that, but still... Uh, I thought the Canucks played pretty well. What did you make of their performance last night? Yeah, I think they had, like, I thought they had every reason to kind of go away in the second period. Um, and they didn't. Um, you know, they had the, the one call go against them on the on the, on the the goal uh, from Garland, which I don't think I agreed with. Um, but whatever. Uh, they score shortly after. I mean, there's no denying the double minor on Myers and, you can say what you want about the penalty on Miller. It's a penalty, even if it's going to give them a five on three. So, uh, you know, down going goal into the third period, you know, I give them credit. Uh, I feel like they dug in. Um, they showed some fortitude. Uh, you know, closing it wasn't easy once again, but uh, they were able to get over the finish line. So, 
you know, it was a game that, you know, easily they could have just said, okay, we're down a goal uh, to these guys. We can't come back uh, on to Vegas and a day off and let's forget about it. And they didn't. And so I give them full credit for that. I thought they were pretty good at five on five. Um, you know, and maybe, you know, Colorado felt like they might just go away in that third period as well. Uh, and Vancouver shot them a bit. So, you know, I think it was full credit of the victory in my eyes anyway. Dan, what are you seeing from Spencer Martin overall? Uh, looks like, like, what are you seeing and how much do you read into him getting the start in Denver? Uh, considering it means probably he's getting two or three on this road trip. Uh, what does that tell you about where the organization's at in terms of their goal usage? Well, I mean, I think they're still trying to f- let Thatcher find his game. Um, there were signs and Bruce, you know, in the post game last night said that uh, he, he got fairly sick in that game uh, against Vegas where he was sick. So maybe the performance, uh, we shouldn't read as much into it uh, as perhaps we did in that third period where, you know, defensively the team was just terrible um, and Thatcher didn't look great either. So, I mean, I think what I would read into it is that, you know, uh, Bruce and Ian right now feel that Spencer probably gives them the best chance to win. Mm. Now, that's not saying that uh, Thatcher's ceiling isn't much higher. It is. Uh, we've seen it. This is kind of the first time in Thatcher's you know, uh, NHL career where he's in a rut. Um, so I still think, uh, you know, I'm not going to call it a controversy. I think that Spencer Martin deserved to start last night. I mean, what's he went out? Five, one, and one. And there's moments where, you know, it doesn't look pretty, but he's getting results. And that's what this team needs. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who gets uh, the start on Saturday. Uh, that might really tell us where this organization's at. Because if they go back to Spencer Martin, um, then they, they feel like Demko still needs a little bit of work to uh, find his game. So I, I'm not calling it a contra- controversy because I think right now Martin is the guy they're looking at. But I also think that. Uh, you know, the Vegas game aside, that Denko had been showing signs of getting back towards the level that he's been at before. And that's a long ways to go because, let's face it, last year, by whatever metrics you wanted, he was one of the best in the league. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, joined by Dan Murphy of Sportsnet here on uh, Sportsnet 650 Canucks Talk, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. Uh, another big takeaway for me from the game last night, Murph, was Elias Patterson. You know, a lot of people have been clamoring mm-hmm. for it. He gets the chance to play a heavy dose of minutes against Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and Devontae's on the blue line, and he holds up pretty well. Does that need to be a, a more frequent part of the Canucks game plan going forward, playing Patterson in those tough matchup minutes? I think so. I don't think there's any question he's their best defensive center. I mean, I think that's clear to see. I I didn't look at the numbers after. Uh, I have a feeling he was probably around 50% or just under 50. But considering that matchup, um, you know, I know it's not Landeskog, but Letkin in on that top line, those guys have been lights out in November. I think they'd scored 15 of the 33 goals from the Avalanche. And you throw those three guys out with uh, Makar and Taves, and they can put just about anyone in the spin cycle. So I think I like the idea of feeding Pedersen Tufts. I'm still on board with, in the defensive zone, uh, sending out Horvat uh, as your best face-off guy. Um, but I, I think we all realize what Horvat is. He's not as good defensively as a centerman as Elias. 
but he's a much better face-off guy. And if you, need, if you need that possession from the defensive zone, I'm fine with that. So, yes, Pedersen wants it, right? He wants this challenge. He's told the coach that. The coach is – I don't think he's hesitant at all to put Pedersen in those, in those minutes. I think he wants to make sure that Kuzmenko can handle it when they're sending him out there in important uh, times of the game. So I'm all for Pedersen playing toughs, um, and that's taken nothing away from Horvat. And, you know, the note you make about Pedersen wanting to do it, and we've heard the reporting that he's he's asked Bruce Boudreau about it, that strikes me as really important because, you know, we debate all the time. Are they going to rebuild? What's management's plan? But whatever the path forward is, I think – it, it's going to involve Elias Pettersson not just being excellent on the ice, but also really growing into that leader. It's going to be, it's going to involve the Canucks becoming Pettersson's team in some way. And if you can kind of work with him in this way, and you know, acknowledge that he's being he's asking to take on these tough minutes, I think maybe that can help the uh, the process of him becoming a leader for the team as well. No question. I think we saw at the end of last night's game too, um, him going out to block that shot in the dying moments. Um, and a guy like Miller running over and screaming how happy he was. I think he was bashing a stick on his back almost. Uh, he's so proud of him diving in front of the shot. I think we see a guy whose desire to win is at the highest level. Um, you know, I, I gave credit to the team for not going away last night. A guy like Pedersen is in the same type of situation, just selling out to get that victory. Um, his reads in the defensive zone are exceptional. His instincts are fantastic because he reads the game like the elite offensive players and uh, we know what that can do in the defensive zone uh, whether it be breaking up passes or plays on the wall or little passes in front of the net so I, I, I agree I, I think this season as tough as it's been at moments for this club uh, in relinquishing those multi-goal leads the play of Pedersen has to be I think uh, the brightest spot. Uh, he's been, I know Horvat's got the goals, but Pedersen has been by far their most consistent player from the get-go. Uh, he's their best five-on-five producer. He's right up at their top of the league in terms of five-on-five production and goals. And I think that this, I'm not going to call it a breakout season because we've seen him be a point-again player pretty much his entire career, but it might be a breakout kind of defensive season for him. We've seen flashes, and I think he's taken a giant step in that area of the game this season. Murph, if is playing Kuzmenko with Pedersen so important that the Canucks should prioritize that, in your view, ahead of getting their best defensive centerman out in Tufts as a heads-up guy um, against some of these opponents? I don't think it's that. I mean, in my mind, I don't think it's that important, especially if you're up a goal late. Mm. I think you can definitely shorten the bench. You don't need to put Kuzmenko out in those situations. Um, you know, the head coach last night post game said that uh, he's seen Kuzmenko improve in his play away from the puck. Um, and he has uh, a little more faith in him in those situations. But if you're protecting uh, a lead late in the game and you want Pedersen out there against the top lines, I'm totally fine with, with inserting someone else on that wing uh, in those situations. And I, and I would guess that Boudreaux, as, as long as Patterson continues this path, uh, will be fine to do that as well. Um, but, um, you, know, you know, when you're down a goal, I think, again, like just like Patterson's been their, their best player, I think that's probably been, uh, you know, aside uh, or with, I guess, the, the Horvat and Miller duo, 
uh, that line's been quite good this year ever since McCabe has been up to speed. So, uh, sure, you know, switch them out if they're up a goal. It's not that important to me. Now, whether it's that important to the head coach remains to be seen. Dan, what, 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 first of all, do you know, are you guys flying into SFO on, uh, on the Sunday or are you getting into San Jose? We were talking about how odd the San Jose airport is for, uh, for back to backs. Oh, I don't know. Okay. I'm going to guess because what is, it? I think it's an 11 o'clock curfew. Yeah. So that to me seems like we'd probably fly into San Fran and drive yeah. the 45 minutes, uh, which is tough because the really game, tough. I believe, is at five. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, yeah, it's an early start, so uh, that's one of the tough things about flying in there, um, you know, especially with with the uh, the curfew. So I, I haven't looked at the schedule; I didn't even think about it yet. But I would assume we would be. Uh, I, I know in the past, maybe I'm speaking out of turn. I think some teams have taken the fine. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> you know? sure. And, and I think the Canucks have done that before. I don't think we've done it. Uh, you know, on that on this plane for quite some time, but I think they've done it before. That said, I don't remember it being done within the last five, six years. But I know some teams just say, "Screw it, whatever. We'll eat the the fine, whatever that may be. We want to get our players to bed." Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> with with the travel, you know, I mean, the twenty two hour turnaround, right? Twenty two hours between puck drops. Uh, the quality of the first opponent, the quality of the second opponent, maybe not so much, but. It's a pretty hard back-to-back, all told, don't you think? Much harder than it might look superficially on paper. Yeah, I agree, um, especially with the early start time, as you mentioned, uh, and arriving late. Now, they won't skate on Sunday, that's, that's obvious, but the one, uh, regardless who starts in goal, they're going to have to send people to the rink, uh, especially if Demko starts in the second and he's going to want shots. They're going to have to send the scratches there. Uh, so it is It is a tough back-to-back. It's a very tough three and four, uh, even though you go Wednesday to Saturday uh, because of the competition. Um, so I, I'm trying to think of the, the worst back-to-backs. I don't know what you would have had, Thomas, in, in Florida. I think the worst back-to-back ever that I've been a part of was Edmonton, Chicago. That's bad. And I think we got into the hotel in Chicago somewhere in the 4 or 4.30 a.m. range. Yep. And they had to play the next day. I don't think they've ever done that again, but that's the worst one I've ever seen. So, you know, this flight is likely just over an hour. Uh, so it's usually, you know, the, the airport here in Vegas is close to the rink. I would assume wheels up to be about eleven fifteen. Yeah, somewhere in that that range. So twelve fifteen. Yeah, at least you're fast to the Vegas airport. That's true. Yeah, so you're maybe at the hotel at one thirty. So all in all, not terrible, but definitely not ideal for the team. Uh, the worst one I had was an eight p.m. start in Calgary for to accommodate hockey night in Canada, followed yeah. by a five p.m. game the next day in Winnipeg. So losing an hour going to the the east side. I don't think we were, I don't think we were in, at the hotel till four thirty. Uh, so yeah. that's probably a 5 a.m. bed, and then 12 hours later is the game. And you'll be shocked to hear it was tied until the last 10 minutes of the third and ended <laughs> 5-2 Winnipeg. Um, so, yeah, no, the uh, – well, with uh, with Pedersen perhaps drawing toughs again, right? We saw what Jack Eichel did to JT Miller and Bo Horvat this, on Monday. But mm-hmm. it's not just Vegas. There's also that Timo Meyer. Tomash hurdle line that's really yeah. San Jose's only dangerous forward group. Uh, you expect to see him in those toughs, both games? What are your expectations of him if 
that is how the, how it in fact unfolds. Well, I mean, considering how it looked uh, in Denver yesterday, I don't think that the head coach will hesitate. Now, it's a little more tough getting the matchup you want on the road, obviously. Um, you know that Cassidy is going to do his best to try to get the favorable matchups for himself. Uh, he does have, uh, you know, you know, three really good lines, if we're, we're speaking honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure he's going to be too, too concerned because he knows he's going to get some favorables regardless where Boudreaux gets Pedersen out there. But I think considering what we saw last night uh, and the way that Boudreaux deployed Pedersen, I would not be surprised at all to see him get it uh, Saturday. Uh, and depending how it goes, you might see it again Sunday shortly thereafter. Murph, just before we let you go here, I wanted to ask you about Brock Besser, who it's kind of an interesting season because just from a raw point total, the points are there, obviously mostly assists. He's on, I think, an eight-game point streak right now. So in a sense, the production is there, but not the goal scoring that you would like to see from Brock Besser. And then there's also a lot of indications that the defensive results have not been uh, very pretty for Besser so far this year. What are you seeing from him right now? I mean, I see a guy still trying to find his way a little bit, and the defensive thing is is obviously the most concerning because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas, defensively he's been pretty decent in his career up to this point. Absolutely, yes. Um, Right? Like he's kind of been in the same, you know, just I'm going to say a little bit better category than than Tanner Pearson. Like it's always been pretty good. So I'd be a little more concerned with the defensive side of the puck at this point. Uh, I think the offense will come. Now, he wasn't on the first unit uh, power play last night because Manko took that spot. And I'm not sure why I forgot to ask Bruce about that post game. Um, so I'm seeing guys still trying to find his way. You saw how relieved he was when he finally scored, right? I mean, a big smile. Here's a guy that you know doesn't show a ton of emotion at mm-hmm. the best of times. Uh, and I think that spoke volumes. So we know how streaky he is. I still think that he has a goal-scoring ability. Um, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see the 30 that everybody's hoping for coming out of a healthy uh, summer, considering how this, the season started. Um, so I, I'd be more concerned, I think, about the defensive side of things and the offense at this point, because I, I think that he has a run of, you know, we, we know he has a run of points. He's been doing that. Uh, I still think he has a run of goals as well. Murph, really appreciate it, man. We'll let you get back to your day. Uh, enjoy the games in uh, in Vegas tonight. All right, boys. Have a good one. We'll see you when we get back. That is Sportsnet. Have fun at my dream television. My goodness. <laughs> Sportsnet's Dan Murphy. Living the dream on the road Le- in Vegas. Le- legitimately, that's like a pilgrimage spot for me. Like, I've been... I-, I send people there. I send them, like, screenshots of the Google images. Like, it looks incredible. It's like one big movie theater size, like, IMAX size screen. Mm-hmm. But then it's got, like, little screens on it. So, I mean, lucky Murph. He's going to be able to watch the first quarter of this Giants game and the second half of Duke, Oregon State. It's good. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Duke, Oregon State. You know, t- tomorrow would be a great day to do it, too, because you've got that Carolina-Boston game starting at 10 a.m. local, at like PT, and then like Minnesota and the Leafs at 11. Like, there's tomorrow's an unbelievable slate of hockey games. I'm the sure. Black Friday hockey but slate. But you've also you've got to have some college football going on tomorrow, I would think. Usually on Friday, there's at least know, one or two high college football games. Well, you watch w- hockey. WCC basketball, yeah, but basketball you won't my favorite pay sport. attention to college football. No, I don't, I don't like college football. That's a bad take. I, college football is exceptional. I only, a degenerate gambler like you I like won't SEC. get into college football? I like football? SEC, but that's it. I don't really care. 
I don't like the bowl season. The playoffs don't make sense to me. I feel a little bit weird about enjoying watching people play football for free, considering how dangerous it is. Like it just it doesn't sit right with me. College football is great. That that last point is the strongest point that you've made. I'm just it it doesn't sit right with me. College college football football doesn't sit right with me. Extremely entertaining. I did like that. (laughs) So you asked the Airbud question to Murph, and he's like, "Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, would be a better goalie," and you're like. Thank you. As if people have been really <laughs> arguing against you. It's like, Finally, someone sees the light. <laughs> like what? Finally, someone had the guts to no, say. You're arguing against no one. A Who's dog, disagreeing with you? A dog could not be a good hitter in baseball. We yeah. know this. It's obvious. Finally, one other just, person sees the light. <laughs> just think about the physiology of the act of hitting. No way. No way could a canine complete that. Uh, I also enjoyed that you guys got your uh, your San Jose Airport talk in there as well. We, that was good. That, that went, was good. That went on longer than I expected. <laughs> that, was, that was very very good. We got the travel authority on the Canucks, uh, Dan Murphy on. So I'm glad travel we were able to hit that. Travel yeah. consultant. Um, somebody just texted in. Airbud could do it. <laughs> so there's one person disagreeing. Airbud could do what? <laughs> I assume he means hit. No, that's the least convincing part of the outrageous Airbud series. We've already been over this. We have. We have. We're not going to rehash that today. Um, He could probably compete in high school sports, but he could not win the World Series. Obviously. Six fifty. Thank you, Murph. Thank you, Murph. Finally, the voice of sanity here on the program. (laughs) Six fifty. Six fifty is the Dunbar Lover text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. Final segment of the show coming up. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet six fifty. Question on the uh, the minds of a lot of uh, local fans here: How much have you been watching the Vancouver Canucks and their start to the season? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I try to watch as many games as I can. You know, I'm a, obviously a big fan since I was a kid. So, uh, yeah, I've been uh, been watching a bit. Uh, you know, we've been pretty busy, so I haven't. I've, I've missed a few games for sure, but you know, I've been trying to watch. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Uh, that is the uh, the presumptive number one overall pick. Phenom prospect Connor Bedard in town, back in his stomping grounds, and of course, asked by our own Randy Jand about his Canucks fandom. He says, "Try to wa- tries to watch as many games as he can in between his very busy schedule, uh, torching the WHL." So I, I just wanted to play that as if we needed a reminder that <laughs> the generational prospect at the top of this draft uh, was, is a diehard Canucks fan. But there you go. Love to be all in on the twenty fourth placed point percentage team. In a year where a generational sniper, who also happens to be a Canucks superfan, is at the top of the draft. Definitely, definitely wouldn't have wanted to be in on that. There you go. Just wanted to be, no, damn, get that out I'm there. I'm just saying, you definitely wouldn't. That, that would be unfortunate. Uh, it's sold out to see Connor Bedard play the Giants, but he's back. He's going to be back at the Langley Event Center for the top prospects, ga- prospects game in January, and I believe there are still tickets available to that. So if you want to get... Uh, a chance to see Connor Bedard before he goes number one in the draft. That is going to be also, your shot. Also, Abbotsford's Zach Benson. Don't miss Abbotsford's Zach Benson. There you go. There's two top ten picks from our community in this draft class. Both will be at that tournament game. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good year for Vancouver-born prospects, and of course, we all know too. There's another one coming mm-hmm. the next year. Presumptive. Well, not presumptive. But in the running, in the running to be the first overall uh, Vancouver could produce first overall picks in consecutive years here. And look, one other thing, Bedard probably has this locked up, but Adam Fantilli is still coming. I mean, there's enough there that this could yet be a debate in the months ahead. Well, what would you set the odds, though, right now? It's still overwhelmingly in Connor Bedard's favor. Yeah, like, but, if Fantilli's having an incredible season. But, like, but like 
minus 200 for Bedard. No, it would be longer than that. Really? Absolutely not. Wow. Because at the end of the day, Connor Bedard is a sniper unlike anything we've ever seen, but Adam Fentilli is having the best NCAA freshman season since Jack Eichel. He's six foot four. He's going to be the fastest guy in this draft class. Okay, so elite production, six foot four, centerman, fastest skater in the draft class. Those physical tools are hard to ignore. Very hard to ignore, especially for NHL teams. I'm not, I, I mean, I, again, I would say minus 200, what that would, that would imply plus, plus 350, something like that. But that's how I'd handicap it. It, it, it is not sign sealed delivered yet. I think I would take I would take those odds on uh, on Connor Bedard Me too. right now. Me too. But again, the 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 unique physical package that Fantilli presents makes it a discussion yet. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. We are also coming to you live from the Kintech studio. And I want to tell you Sportsnet 650 has partnered with Match Eatery and Public House for Sportsnet 650 Sunday at Cascades Casino in Delta. Join Bick, Randeep, and the Sportsnet 650 squad on Sunday, December 4th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for all your marquee matchups. Match Eatery and Public House offers the social traditions of a neighborhood pub with the high energy of a sports bar. Stop by for your chance to win a smart speaker. You can grab some Sportsnet 650 swag, talk sports with Bick and Randeep, plus we'll have a pair of Canucks tickets and a pair of tickets uh, to the Seahawks game on December 11th to give away match eatery and public house located at the new Cascades Casino next to the Massey Tunnel. And again, that is December 4th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Going to be a very, very good time. Uh, we had a couple questions come in on the San Jose airport uh, thing. Murph said, "What?" Is, somebody texted in, what does Murph mean by a curfew? And then another person texted in, you guys said something about a fine in Vancouver paid at one time. Can you explain that? So as I understand it, there is a curfew at the San Jose airport where you cannot land or take after off. this time or take off after this time because Correct. presumably for noise reasons. They don't yeah. want noise pollution in the neighborhood. Correct. Um, and the penalty, as Murph was alluding to there, if you do charter a plane that lands post 11 p.m., there's a fine that you have to pay. Murph was saying that rather than fly to a nearby airport and make the drive, some teams have just said, you know what, to heck with it, we'll pay the fine. Yeah, SFO's not close. FSO, SFO is not a close airport, so it's not convenient to to go elsewhere. But you'll you'll get a lot of um, like teams that stay over in San Jose, you know, as a result of this. So yeah, that's that's the long and the short of it. You explained it perfectly. There you go. Thank you, Chancellor. Well done, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jamie gonna, Dodd explains stuff. I, I'm gonna go home and really <laughs> rest should, on my laurels after a, today's a, show. We should have a Jamie Dodd explains stuff segment going forward. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll think of something else to have you explain. I think I, I think I have good communication skills. Eight, I hope so. I'm eight, on the radio. Okay. In honor of uh, the NFL Thanksgiving slate, can you explain to me eight-legged turkeys? Well, they sew them on. Oh. Yeah, it's like they're not it, genetically. Like John bred. Madden does the Franken turkey thing or whatever, right? They, you remove a, tur- a turkey leg and then you stitch it on to the other turkey. That's my oh. understanding. Are you sure? I'm, I'm like sure 99% you. sure. How are you sure are you that there's not like special yeah, NFL I'm, why, spider I'm ex- turkeys? Extremely sure about that. You're extremely sure? <laughs> extremely sure. See, Jamie Dodd explains things. High, this is a this is a good new segment for a us. A high degree of confidence. A high degree of confidence. By the way, I have made turducken. Oh yeah, turducken's delicious. It was good. It was really Did good. Did you order it from Nova Scotia? I have no idea. It was at my in-laws. They okay. procured 
the, the various foul that was oh, involved. Oh, you made it. Oh, yeah, no, we made it. You didn't, like... You were like, we took the part. Got it. Put all the animals in there, wrapped it back you. up. I mean, it's good. It was great. It was awesome. Turkey's a little dry. So, I really like turkey. I, and people are always like, well, if it was so good, we'd eat it all year round. Like, I, some I, things are just a special occasion thing. That's I, fine. I do eat turkey all year round. I eat, like, turkey sandwiches all year round. No. Yeah, I ate like four turkey yeah, sandwiches. Yeah, turkey sandwiches a week. for sure. I don't I don't do that, but I, I enjoy it's a turkey sandwich. It's my favorite thing. It's literally my favorite thing. I mean, I'm definitely more of a dark meat guy. Dark meat's incredible. It's super tasty. Sure. But even white meat, when it if you do the turkey right and you get some gravy on there, it's still super delicious. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, a little dry, of course. It's a little dry. That's fine. But when you put duck in a chicken in a turkey, you really you really get something quite special. You, you know, really do. You know what the key, though, is to a really good turducken, in my opinion? Um, cornbread stuffing. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, very interesting. You got to go, because the turducken ultimately is like a very Acadian thing. Uh, so if you order it from like one of those butchers in Nova Scotia or whatever, special care of, you'll get it and it comes um, comes with cornbread stuffing. I did Highly not know that turducken it. was a, a Maritimes thing. Well, it's a it's a Acadian thing. Specifically. A specifically I had no idea. So so Louisiana and Nova Scotia ah. is like is like the capital of turduckins in North America. There you go. Yeah. I've learned about the, the San Jose Airport. I I've learned about the origins of Turducken today. Yeah, there and, you go. And you've learned that eight legged turkeys don't exist. <laughs> I'm I still don't believe you. <laughs> By the way, I think an eight legged turkey could be a good goaltender. Okay, well, I'm glad you said that because we got a lot of texts along the lines of who would be good in goal. Uh, Chet and Burnaby uh, texted in that they did an unofficial poll at work and we decided that size aside, so like excluding something like a whale, a tiger would probably be the best animal goaltender. That's from Chet and Burnaby. I mean, the reflexes reflexes are are there. I was thinking, this is what I did on my bathroom break uh, during the commercial break. I, I had read this text and I was thinking about it. I think a monkey of some sort. I don't know what exact variety of monkey or ape, right? It has the the rec- requisite combination of quickness. Like a gorilla? I don't know. But something, because the thing with monkeys is they can use their legs as limbs as well, right? Like they can be get their legs out there That's making true. stops. You could also you could also like make desperation saves where you don't just stand on your head, but you hang from the crossbar. Like that's what a monkey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like they they're more in the Dominic Hashik school. Yeah. Of it. It's, it's not like, going to look textbook. It's like, but they're going like, to make the save. That shot was earmarked for the top corner, but it was a beautiful kick save by the monkey. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you know what? Standing on his head, Sorry. literally. I like your idea of a simian netminder. I really want to see this. MVP needs a sequel where he's in goal. Yeah, monkey in the m- monkey in the net. We also had somebody uh, text in a, a a link to a YouTube video, which always panics me because I worry that I'm going to uh, open something on the company yeah, internet. I, it's going to be terrible. I wouldn't do absolutely that. terrible, but uh, it paid off. My faith in Colby paid off this time, and it was a video to a dog uh, using a baseball bat in his mouth and hitting baseballs. Oh, I saw that recently, but not now, not against major league pitching. Well, and like also, come on, Justin also, Verlander would blow it back. And also, this guy. they were soft balls. They were soft balls. Be, and yes. but the dog did a pretty. I was pretty impressed by the fact that the dog was able to uh, hit those balls without having to turn its head. Right, like it was just a little like nod as opposed to the full swing that I think you'd require to hit. Um, off major league pitchers, in which I believe to be impossible physio- uh, physiologically. <laughs> yes, there you go. So we, it's not that they can't ever swing a bat, but at the major league level, I mean, come on. Can, yeah. Imagine them trying to hit a Justin Verlander slider. Ridiculous. <laughs> no, <laughs> Ridiculous. May, may, maybe one could get on base a couple of times for, like, you know, 
single A short season ball. <laughs> uh, Riley and Riley and the Rich. Somebody else pointed out actually. I'm I'm not letting this go. So just so you know, uh, somebody else pointed out. Well, we've got a couple of texts on this. Andrew and Sanichton says a dog could totally bunt. A bunt is a hit. No, I mean bunting is for cowards. I've I've been on the record yeah, for that. I'm not a bunting guy. So yes, sorry, theoretically, sorry. you're, you're going to put a dog on your team to play small ball. Who are you? The Kansas City Royals. Get out of here. Uh, somebody else texted in. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't Airbud's strike zone be very small? That's from JJ. That's true. So so you're saying Airbud's more of an OBP guy? Yeah. Put him at the top of your lineup. He'd be a great base runner. Okay. Be a great base runner. Steal some bases for you. Okay. So what 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 animal would be the best hitter? In baseball, if we've decided that a simian or a I mean, tiger, probably still a gorilla, <laughs> right? Wouldn't it? I, I mean, think so. they're just the most human-like. So I it's kind of cheating. Act, the act of hitting a baseball really requires you to have like basically human appendages. I think that's right. I think that's right. Lack uh, of thumbs might be an issue. I, I promise we'll move on soon here. But Anton in Vancouver points out that an octopus has eight legs. But I think removed for the goaltending conversation, I think that is. But I think removed from the water <laughs> would really limit their ability to be successful in it's net. Like, it's like the octopus goes in net and it's like, and it flops. Like it doesn't even have bones. There's no bone structure. Can you put on the Canucks game? <laughs> an NHL slap shot would literally go through an octopus. Oh, uh, Riley in the Ridge says, hey guys, what the blank are you talking about? <laughs> It's like, you know, the Breaking Bad yeah. uh, meme where it's like Walter White's like, Jesse, what on earth are you talking about? Well, we're talking about what animals would be good goaltenders. That's basically it. And you know what? We should get back to speaking we about should. human beings playing hockey. Playing hockey. The Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks uniform. But I mean, look, they don't play till Saturday. What are you going to do? You got to have some fun. Got to have some fun on the air, guys. Come on. Anyways. Um, oh, I'm, I'm here for debating dogs hitting baseballs. Back to the Canucks talk. That is the name of the show, and and you can text in any thought you have about the Canucks. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, you did your uh, your quarter of the season. They've played twenty games now. Uh, player grades in in collaboration, a collab with, as they say, with uh, Harmon Dial at the Athletic, and we won't run through player by player. Yeah, who says that? I don't know. People say that, right? What other words do you shorten? People shorten lots of random words. No, oh, I know, but now I don't make a practice of it. Okay. But people do. That's uh, all I said. I said people let's, say it. Let's collab on never saying that again. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know you were such a stickler. <laughs> Proper English only, yes, Jamie. Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll let you stick to that. Um, we're not going to run through player by player to go through all of them. But did it help you? I mean, not that you need help kind of clarifying and developing strong opinions. But do you think it helped you kind of even more zero in on where the issues with this Canucks performance have been so far. Well, I, let me tell you this. We were going through and we were assigning grades and then we changed them as we do more research. You know, you'll message the other guy and be like, I'm thinking I actually, this guy who we has as a C plus has actually got to go down. Like it's not even that. Um, and one guy, for example, example was originally a C minus and I get a message from Harmon and he goes, this guy has to be a D was Tanner Pearson. And the reason that Harmon concluded that was one goal, four point, four mm -hmm. assists, five points overall, huge minutes when he's been in the lineup, and one of the highest rates of penalties taken in the league, plus soft underlying numbers. Harmon's just like, how how is he not? We can't give him a C minus. Like this has been really bad. Well, and I would add on Tanner Pearson, and the the exercise is done kind of relative to your expectations for the player. Let's not forget, Tanner Pearson was supposed to be on this team's top line, <laughs> on, on the top matchup line, because they had played together really well last season. So 
even if you weren't expecting him to be a star, yeah. you were exp- still expecting him to be a key part of, again, the number one clear-cut top line on the team, and it just was not that at all. And so as we went through this exercise, there were a lot of guys like that, right? Like Bo Horvat's tied for the NHL lead in scoring, A+, plus, right? Well, no. Once we look at the five-on-five impact and the defensive impact, it's hard for us to, um, you know, put him there, right? JT Miller, he's on pace for ninety goal, uh, for 40 goals. He's on pace for another, you know, point-per-game season. 80-plus points. Well, that's got to be an A. Well, unfortunately not, right? Ilya Mikheyev looks like he's a bona fide top six piece. It looks like he's going to score 20 goals again. Yeah, except a lot of its percentages. And actually, the play driving element that Mikhaev, like the part of bringing on Mikhaev that I thought the Canucks were getting has actually hasn't been really part been of his game that hasn't really been there. And and I granted, I don't think he's fully healthy because we haven't seen, like he obviously he's still fast, but he hasn't looked like the fastest player in the league. And Mikheyev is the fastest player in the league. So if you've watched him play enough, you know that his strides just not quite. He's where still, <laughs> the funny thing about that, though, is he still has looked noticeably the fastest player on the Canucks. No, no, but he should be the fastest player yeah. on the ice. And and s- some nights he is, but it's not playing the way that it will at some point during his Canucks career when he's healthy. And all of that said, once that plays, you're not going to see necessarily as many goals, but you are going to see him win every single puck battle or every single race anyway like he is literally the fastest skater in the league it's just he hasn't looked like it through 20 games and the defensive impact has not been as stellar as I was expecting so you know all of a sudden a guy who maybe should have been an a minus goes down to a b and it was like across the board when we looked at what this team is actually accomplishing five on five when we looked at the scoring chances when we looked at the entry impact um we end up downgrading almost everyone's marks with the exception of Elias Pettersson, uh, you know, and Kuzmenko. Like, that's basically it. Kuzmenko and Pettersson were sort of insulated from this effect, but almost across the board, even relative to our expectations, this team is poorer as a five-on-five group. Like, their, their five-on-five play is softer than we expected by a lot, by a lot. Uh, you know, in fact, if you told me that the Canucks would look like this at even strength, I probably would have been like, wow, that's really good that they're 7, 10, and 3. Mm. You know, like they've actually outperformed. Well, you combine the even strength performance with the penalty kill. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, they've probably outperformed what they've des- what they've deserved based on how porous they've been and how ineffective, even in the attacking end of the rink, they've been at even strength. The the under Kuzmenko thing is interesting because do you have a handle on how much of it is him and how much of it is him playing with Elias Pettersson, right? Like it's clearly, there's clearly credit that goes both ways there. He doesn't, you, you can't completely discount what he's doing, but I do find that I am having a tough time. If I was a different team, I think I would have a tough time wrapping my head around exactly how much value Andre Kuzmenko has. Again, not to say that he's been bad. He's been good, but he's also getting to ride shotgun with a player who's having just a phenomenal season. How did you guys tackle kind of that job of trying to parse out who gets uh, or how much credit, I guess, to assign to Andre Kuzmenko in that partnership? I, I mean, it's really not that difficult because Kuzmenko, like, we're lucky that we have Cam Sharon tracking data the way he does so we can see that Kuzmenko is actually doing a fair bit of lifting in terms of keying that club's or that line's transition game and directly contributing to the scoring chances so 
all of that microstat data tells us pretty clearly that he's not a passenger or not solely a passenger. Additionally, if you go look at the um, underlying data and the Wowie data, which is small sample noise and has to be looked at in context, fact is, is that Pedersen has been far better with Kuzmenko than he has been in any other configuration. Now, we haven't seen any other configuration for that long or that extended a stretch, but, it, you know, all of that points in the same direction, which is that Kuzmenko is actively contributing to what Pedersen is accomplishing five on five, as opposed to solely benefiting from it. Uh, for me, for me, that line does have something of a passenger, and it's it's Mikheyev. Now, I don't think that's always going to be the case because Mikheyev's such a good two way player when he's healthy and skating normally. I don't think he is. Like, I just don't think he is. Maybe I'm wrong. I- I'm sure. I'm I'm not like making excuses for him either, right? Uh, if he's available. It's fair to talk about and criticize his performance, as we discussed in the case of the Avalanche earlier. Mm. But I, I just, I've seen him play enough to know that he should be liquid fast, and right now he's just normal fast, <laughs> and that's not who he is. That's not who he is. I also don't know that his north-south game complements what Kuzmenko and Patterson so can do. I, it's in, okay. There's, I'm of there's, two minds. There's of this. so many bobbled passes. There's so many like rush chances that die on his stick i i just think i just think the conservatism of being like well we need to play this line in against bottom six competition and have a great defensive center player with them like it's 1985 thinking i'm sorry like just put a really good put brock Pastor, put a really good player with them and they're gonna defend 150 feet away from their own net Put someone who can compliment and capitalize off their East-West game. Period. I understand having Mikheyev there if you're going to use Elias Pettersson in the tough matchup minutes. I can see it. No. I don't understand it's old school thinking. having him there if you're not even going to do that. Right? And that's why it's kind of a mismatch to have Kuzmenko and Mikheyev with him. Because Kuzmenko, there's concern. We've heard. We know that there's concern yeah, we, about putting him in those tough can, minutes. We can see it, Which too. makes sense. Which yeah. is totally fair. And then I guess the thinking is, okay, well, we're going to try to balance that out with Ilya Mikheyev, but it almost is a situation where I'd rather them replace Kuzmenko and put maybe Besser there or something, right? And then you're just fully committed to where there's no situation where we're afraid to put these guys out there. We have total confidence in them. We can put them out uh, against any opposition. Or maybe you do do the uh, – you take Mikheyev off and put Besser or whoever there and – and you just let it roll with uh, Andre Kuzmenko, but it just feels like kind of a weird match having one guy who, as you said, is theoretically there for the defensive help, but takes some things off the table offensively, and then the other guy who is the reverse. And I get it. Okay, maybe you're thinking balancing it out, but it it, it complicates the ideal role for Elias Pettersson for me. This team is not going to be bad defensively because they have Andre Kuzmenko and Elias Pettersson playing top line minutes. They're going to be bad defensively because there's 18 other problems on the roster. You know, like, are you you're telling me this team that's trotted out JT Miller in, in matchup minutes can't can't afford to have Andre Kuzmenko play there without Ilya Mikheyev? Stop it! Like, stop it! It's just it doesn't make sense. It's it's gobbledygook. It's like old school hockey bromides that have no basis in facts. Tr- just try to outscore your opposition. Can Kuzmenko and Pedersen outscore the opposition in a top of the lineup role? We don't know. We don't know. But give them give them a loaded weapon to try and find out. Like give them a guy who helps them score, right? If the benefit is that they're going to be able to manufacture offense, give them a player who helps them do that to the best of their abilities. 
That's it. Like, I, I mean, honestly, none of it makes sense to me. And honestly, whether it's replacing Kuzmenko or replacing Mikheyev, I want to see Besser with Pedersen at some point for an extended run this season. They've played really well together in the past. I think if you are if you start to think about the players in that kind of asset mindset, you want to boost Brock Besser's goal scoring, the best way to do that is going to be to play him with your best player in Elias Pedersen. I, I think we got to see that uh, at some point. And again, I take Kuzmenko off, take Mikheyev off. I don't really have a problem either way, but no, it should I want be to see Mikheyev. That. Like, come on. Uh, before we seriously, get out of here, no, seriously, why would you split up Kuzmenko and Pedersen? No, Kuzmenko's What's been, the argument Kuzmenko's for been good, but I'm just saying, if you want What's more defense, if you want more defensive Patton? acumen, but, that's the no, argument. But why? Why do you? I mean, why? Because Brock Besser's really good offensively too. Sure, but he's he's hasn't been good defensively yet. But no. he is good defensively. He can be. He yeah. can be good. I think he has that element. He's sturdy uh, in his game. Uh, before we get out of here, I just wanted to touch also in terms of the grades on Quinn Hughes and another guy who, if you just look at the top line numbers, now I, don't, I know he doesn't have the goal, uh, obviously, but the I don't care about that. The at all. the offensive production has been really really good. Comes in with a B, and I don't think a lot of people would dispute that and say, "Oh, he should be an A. He should be an A plus." It's another indication of you know we all know the level that Quinn Hughes is capable of hitting. We're not seeing it. We're not seeing it on a consistent basis. There's flashes. I there's think, moments. I think we've seen it the last week. But I don't think we saw it previously. Um, in- interestingly, a lot of people have talked about Hughes like giving back, including me, by the way, have give- given back some of his defensive gains from last season. But really, his defensive impact has still been sturdy. It's it's really that the Canucks aren't generating the same quality of scoring chances when he's on the ice five on five. How much of that is Hughes directly, or how much of that is the fact that the team's just not getting a lot done at five on five overall if Pedersen's not on the ice? That remains to be seen, but I think Hughes will help drive that more, and I think we've seen evidence of that over the past week as he put some little bit more time between him and that injury that he was dealing with through training camp in the early part of the season. I, I expect we'll see Quinn Hughes look a lot more like the Quinn Hughes we're used to. Uh, you can see the full player grades for the Canucks players uh, from Drance and Harmondyle up at The Athletic right now. Uh, man, what a show! A little San Jose airport talk, inside baseball tidbits, uh, some more Air Bud debates, which animal would make the best goalie. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for texting in. Uh, Enjoy the football if you're watching. We will be back tomorrow to set up the Canucks games on the weekend. Keep listening here. Uh, I believe the PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is up next. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.